Hello, and once again, welcome back to a new culture of the day. Um, so today is Saturday, which is a bit weird because I don't usually record on Saturday. Ideally, when I was back on the schedule, um, I'd record on a Thursday and then edit and post on a Friday. Um, but we're busy girlies, um, and sometimes you just have to like prioritize yourself and just resting and not doing anything. Um, but yeah, that was just like the preface of it. So this will probably come up in about a couple of hours because I am recording it at 5.03 and will be posted soon after. Um, so the episode for today, um... So today's theme, and I've kind of switched around what schedule, what themes I had in mind, because I think um, I like to put the themes that I'm like most passionate about or like that I I know have like an easy flow of conscious, consciousness and an easy flow of thoughts to me. And one of those themes is women in our 20s and everyday life. Um, and I want to preface, I know I say women in our 20s because I'm in my 20s, but I think it also applies to women in their 30s and their 40s and their 50s and their 60s and their 70s and their 80s and their 90s, probably in their hundreds because, you know, some girlies are like powerful like that. But yeah, um, oh my God, the sun is bull. I'm recording from the living room and I, the sun is like directly in my eyesight eyeline give me a second much better um but yeah so this um so the theme of women i guess women and everyday life and i'm specifying 20s because you know i that feels more closely related to me but women in everyday life is my absolute favorite trope of all time especially if you make it woman of color i will eat that shit up every time whatever form that comes in in terms of media whether it's a book whether it's music whether it's media like tv shows and movies vlogs youtube videos um i will eat that shit up absolutely like i mean in the first episode i've talked about it like you know my favorite youtuber is moya and her vlog is just everyday life, you know, and like, sure, she gets opportunities because of YouTube and, you know, like Fashion Week and whatever, but mainly to its core is like everyday life, going out with friends, staying at home, battling the lows, the ups and downs, and yeah, kind of like, you know, reading and watching things and trying to be in love and that not working out and whatnot and studying and going to college and everything. I just think it's just, it's so good. I, you don't understand. Like, I could cry about it. Which, by the way, I know, like, the culture of these... I mean, it is meant to be, like, a discussion with me talking the most. But I know it's not, like, an update things or anything. But I've been crying for the past couple of days. Like, I don't know what's going on with me. And I cry a lot. So for me to say that I'm crying a lot is that I'm crying an extra lot. Like, you know, like, I'm the casual girl who will like the casual person who'll just like cry watching like high school musical casual I know like like things that aren't sad like I'll just like be there and watch a movie and maybe it's the nostalgia and maybe it's like the memories of back then but I'll just cry like I've cried watching Daredevil and that is no joke 
Um, but yeah, recently I've just been bawling extra. Like my roommate left for Italy this morning and yesterday we were, you know, having a little dinner and like watching High School Musical, the musical, the series, which I absolutely recommend. I love it. It's, 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 oh, it's one of the most wholesome show I have ever watched in my whole life. I just want to personally embrace and like forehead kiss all of the characters, like, they're just so fucking goddamn precious, and I love them to death, but basically, we were watching that, and it wasn't even sad, it was, it was cute, it was really sweet, but it wasn't sad, and for the whole 30 minutes that the episode lasted, I was bawling, like, I was hysterically laughing, tears, a flow of tears streaming down my face, like, at some point, guy even asked me, do you need a hug, are you okay, and I was like, I'm fine, I don't know what's happening to me, but yeah, so I don't know what's that, what, what that has been about. But anyway, back to the theme. Um, well, back to yeah, today's episode. Um, yeah. Um, how can how, how where are we going on about? Um yes, um I kind of lost my train of thought, as you can tell. Um, but I think it's like for me, what's doing it for me with like to be a woman in a post-feminist era, which I'll touch back in a second um it's just like the not the realness but just like the the lifeness of it all I guess like it's just navigating life and it's just making mistakes and trying again it's not everything anything extraordinary like you know like it's not James Bond running off a building up into an helicopter then killing the helicopter driver I guess you call it and then lending the helicopter safely it's nothing like that but it's just so much more precious to me it's just no you know like heartache but also like just life ache, like time passing and friendships and and doing things for yourself and learning how to self-love in a way that makes sense to you because you know self-love and self-care even though they're like universal values they don't apply to anyone to everybody the same and I don't know I think that is just like it's, it's, oh, it's so precious to me. I don't even know what I, I just love it. Like I, I, I just love it. Yeah, I think. And I mean, it's, it's because I see myself. Um, there is no other way to say it. I love it so much because I see myself. I feel represented and I feel like, well, whatever I'm going through, I'm doing okay. Or at least I'm doing the best that I can. And even if I'm not doing the best that I can, at least I'm doing. And doing is more than enough. Um, and and that's why like shows like High Fidelity or or songs like Messy by Olivia Dean, which I talked in the first episode, which are my all time favorites, um, resonate so deeply with me because it's like giving room to be human, even though nobody really knows what that means and nobody has like that notion of how it should go, even though you know we have like social and societal like restriction or like limitation or like framework whatever you decide to call it it's just like there is no guideline to how to live there's no guideline to how to be human and um to experience and to to just like i don't even have a word for it but just like whoosh, i guess would be it um and that you know there's no guideline for that so like you know to have other people being like yo i relate to you my guy um we're in the same boat we don't know where it's going. It might not even be a boat. The waters might be very turbulent, tumultuous. But we're in there and we're gonna end up somewhere. We don't really need to know where, as long as, you know, 
we're doing what makes us happy and we're asking and demanding of our environments to like fulfill us in the way that is like I'm putting in the work I'm doing this so like I deserve this and if I don't deserve this I'm gonna take it for myself um but yeah um like yeah and I, I think that's beautiful to like live life however best or not best you can and not feel an utter, not feel like an utter failure about it, I think is crucial. Um, but yeah, I'm rambling already. This episode, I think it might be one of the longest because I'm telling you, this is, this is, this is my shit. Um, but to be a woman in a post-feminist area, which I said I was going to go back to, which I don't know if really applies because I got that term from Gaia because she's doing a gender, in, gender studies master. Um, and so she had a presentation on post-feminism and I was like, well, what is post-feminism? And she was telling me that like, you know, feminist theory and feminist lectures is like all about attaining equalities with men, right? Like pay equality, life equality, you know, not getting murder in the street because you just said, no, thank you. Um, all of the good stuff, you know, all of the bare minimums, um, and that post-feminist, post-feminism was more of like, how do you go on from there? How do you live your life? So she was studying things like Legally Blonde and um, Bridget Jones' diary for her class. But she was telling me that, for example, exam- for example, an example. Yes, absolutely. Um, one movie, one feminist movie would be The Hidden Figures, um, which if you haven't seen, and I, I haven't seen it either, but I've like watched excerpts of it, is about like the about um, a group of black women who were, I think, if I'm not mistaken, behind the first launching to the moon. Like, they were doing the math, and, like, they were kind of like a human computer. Like, especially one of them, which I think is played by... Let me check before I say a mistake. Right? Because, as per usual, I am never wrong. I'm with Taraji P. Henson. And it's basically, yeah, like, how they... um, um, The extraordinary destiny in the beginning of the 60s of three African-American or Black American scientists who allowed the U.S. to take the lead on the spatial conquest. And I'm translating that from um, direct French. So see, I'm never wrong. I know what I'm talking about. Anyway, oh my God, this is going to be so long. But anyway, yes. So um, to be a woman in a post-feminist area, I'd say, even though we're like very far from that, um, and that is without touching on women of color, on intersectionality, and on other minorities in terms of gender, sexuality, social classes and everything, but anyway, um, is to try things out and it's to be scared and it's to be hurt and it's to try some more. And I think it, for me, and I would, I could literally, like my eyes are filling up with tears at the moment because of how precious it is to me, but it's about laughters that causes tummy ache reflecting about how lucky you are when having a proper dinner with your family you're just like oh my god this is what it's all about like that's the real deal it's crying because of how much you love like like i am doing right now like not necessarily romantically but just like everything like to love and to appreciate everything around you even if it's not all the time and even if it's like by small bits but to just be aware of that is just it's that's what it is to me but yeah um, moving on, um, the music or the artist we're going to talk today, which by the way is not how I'm going to keep formatting it, which I'm, I'm drinking a little drinks because I'm just a silly girl. That might not be the way it's going to be formatted until the end of the first season, 
but I mean, because I, I know so far I've done like an artist with a theme, but I think for a couple, ep- like I think a couple episodes from now, it's going to be multiple songs relating to a theme rather. But anyway, the one and only for this episode is Celeste. Um, so Celeste is this brilliant, brilliant, brilliant singer. Um, one of my favorite singer, um, which also she hasn't released like an album since 2021, I think, or 2020, like it's been a couple years and I'm like sight eyeing because we need more music because the album we're going to talk about, which is her first album is called Not Your Muse. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful album. There is no words for how I can describe it. It's just, it's beautiful. Um, the, 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 well, the album goes from like songs that everybody knows, like strange naturally to songs that you've heard in a movie. Like it's all right, which I'll play a little excerpt of from the movie soul. Um, because it's just, it's, it's, it's a very precious, it's a very precious song. I think, um, to like more niche music from the album, like the promise, which is one of my top three, obviously. But anyway, um, the whole album, like I said, is amazing. It's one of my favorite albums. I like how you can tell where I'm going off a tangent and then driving back to my notes because I'm like, okay, that's enough chit-chat. Um, but I I like the notion, like within just like the album, well, the title, I love the notion of not being anybody's muse, which is also a coin from a line from Daisy Jones and the Six um, when Daisy Jones says, I am not the muse, I'm the somebody. Which I think is just brilliant because I think as like a society, you know, muse are like highly regarded. Like, you know, women want to be inspiration. They want to be, you know, like the reason why great artists are great artists. But and and I've been I've been a victim of that. Like, I don't want to overgeneralize, but I know that, like I said, was the case for me. Like, I've wanted to be a muse like in relationships. I just I want I want like I absolutely utterly want someone to write a song about me. Which is probably not going to happen, and I've made peace with that, but it's just like, you know, things like that where you're just like, oh my god. And I think, and now I'm going off a tangent, but I think it's, at least for me, kind of like relates to seeing yourself through somebody else's eyes in a way that makes you, that glorifies you, I guess. You know, like, have have you, like, you know, because... I know myself and I see myself and I think I'm great in some areas. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm the baddest bitch around. Like, you know, I'm the best. But, you know, that's also just my ego being like, yada, yada, yada. But to have someone external, like, publicly profess how great you can be or how inspirational, not in a, like, influential way, but just in, like, soul. Like, you're like, you know, you give inspiration, you give food to the soul and the mind and everything. And just have someone publicly, you see that, like, this is my inspiration. I just like this. It's, it's, it's beautiful. But like I said, you know, it's great. Like, you know, to be somebody's inspiration, to be written about, to be loved and appreciated in a way that's artistic, but also public is great. But I think it takes away from how much you can accomplish. Like if we take, see, I even forgot her name, but Manet's muse, the one who, and I studied her and as an art history student, that's very icky of me but how you know she was the the woman the main figure in olympia and then Déjeuner um but you don't remember her you're just like oh that's money's muse because you remember money and i think you know like that takes away from the greatness of the person and, and to some extent to be someone's muse is like stepping away from yourself 
like I don't know how to explain, but I think you kind of see where I'm going at. It's like, you know, you're being that aspiration from someone, but are you putting the same energy within yourself? Because if you are, then that's a whole other subject. But if you're not, it's kind of like, you're kind of like being fuel and like I was saying, inspiration from for someone else's success, which is fine, you know, like how people succeed, that's great. But when that is at the detriment of yourself, when you know you're just as great, that's where I get it becomes problematic. But yeah, moving on to my favorite songs, because we're like late on. This is, I think, going to be about 15 minutes. And I apologize for that. And kudos to anyone who will listen to the end. But like I said, anyway, um, so my favorite songs from the album would be number one, Not Your Muse, which and then that's kind of like a recent. So we'll talk about that promise. And thirdly, both sides of the moon. Um, and I think also why I want this episode to be a bit longer, well, well, why it will be a bit longer is because I want to take more time with the music and just kind of like have it more of like a chill conversation. Because I know I'm all over the place and I still am, but I don't know, like something a little more mm, relaxing, I guess. Um, but yeah, so we'll start with Not Your Muse and then I'll talk about it. So here it is. Hi. Not Your Muse, really started resonating with me over a couple months ago, um, so about the end of spring 2023. I remember it was, I was at work, I worked in an art gallery, and there was this set, my boss, I, you know, I put Celeste a couple times because I was tired of listening to Eve Cassidy, which, you know, great voice, great artist, but, you know, it's just like when you're listening to that 24, not 24-7, but during like six hours on top, it gets heavy. So I put Celeste on and, you know, then that gets incorporated in like the YouTube mix. And my boss was like, I really like her voice. So I, you know, put more Celeste song. And there was a set of three songs that she did where it was Tell Me Something I Don't Know, Not Your Muse, and I think uh, Lately. But I listened to Not Your Muse. I remember, I think I was brewing or something. And I just felt so empowered. And I felt like a rush in me of just like, oh. I can do this. I'm brilliant. And and I think I mean this is all this is what the song is all about like um it's it's an empowering song that you know you can and could be someone someone's muse but you have greater plans and ambition for yourself that you're capable cap, cap, mm, mm, capable 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 of achieving greatness that which is something that you know I think like not many of us do believe like some of us are gifted with the gift of confidence and you know good for you but most of us aren't so to have like you know that being like you can do it and the lyrics well as you've heard they go like I can be bold decorate me adore me baby um but I can't be owned it's not part of my desire um and I think it says that it's like I'll hold my pose but I'm not your muse and yeah but it's a great song then the next one is the promise. So the promise, um, and there's a bonus song that comes with it, which I completely forgot about. 
Um, but The Promise is a song that really hits home to me because it is over trust. It is about over trusting someone. And like, don't get me wrong. I don't believe that over trust is a thing in itself. But for me to over trust someone is when, you know, that person has already and or repeatedly hurt you and made you realize and made you like told you that they're not trustworthy. They will break your heart. They will be mean to you. They will let you down. But then you still trust them. And it's, about realizing how naive you are being but still willingly letting that person hurt you because perhaps you don't know how to walk away perhaps you don't want to walk away because that's all you know and that feels you know how like toxic situations feel comforting until a certain point because it's comfortable um but yeah um and it's just like it it just it, it, it hits home it hits it hits very very close to home and then the song that goes with that is Break My Heart Again by Phineas. a long excerpt but i think it's just it's great um it's a good song i've listened to it i start i discovered phineas actually separately from billy eilish obviously because you know they're related just in case you never know um and um quick story and i'll, I'll talk more about it maybe when i do now so don't yes because i fucking love phineas his music anyway um but i i listened to let's fall in love for the night and i was like oh my god this is like my like this is me in a nutshell maybe that might be an episode that i do like like i felt like this song represented me like it was just me like it just clicked instantly and then i kept listening to like new girl um this and that and then you know i was like oh my god and i don't even know how i don't remember how to make the connection but i was like oh my god phineas belly phineas oh and then came claudia which you will not get me started on Claudia because Claudia is such a goddamn good song. Oh my god. You know what I love? You know what I love to see in this world? Men being simp for women. This is the only acceptable way for a man to be. Simp. Be a simp. Be absolutely miserable for your woman. It's wonderful. But anyway, um, Break My Heart Again is similar in regards of the theme of letting someone walk back on you and hurting you. Because maybe you think there is still hope, like, you know, like maybe they can change or maybe, you know, they, they really meant what they said when they said that they loved you or they really meant what they said when they said that they were genuine with you and telling the truth, um, that they can change. And, you know, that maybe the way they acted or how much they've hurt you is just the circumstances. And then they come back and they hurt you some more. They let you down some more. They lie some more. And you're just like, wow, like I've put all this energy into you. And I've let you hurt me multiple times. But I do think there is beauty in that and having that realization of being, well, you know, I did that and it wasn't great. And it wasn't, it didn't feel good at all. But I don't know, I think that there is beauty in realizing that, you know, you kind of like, it was you giving them the power. And it's okay to take it back and move on. Um, talking about moving on, both sides of the moon. great fucking song i'm just saying it's like and it fun fact it is actually celeste's favorite songs of her discography 
And it was initially written as a poem, which makes completely sense if you look at the lyrics. Because, well, both sides of the moon um, deals with, like, the relationship between the moon and the tide. And it's this very low, very intimate ballad, which I just love. I think, for me, it's a song that, you know, like, maybe you're, like, outside and it's nighttime. Maybe summer night, but I think maybe more towards fall or, like, winter time. And you're just out. Maybe you're on your balcony. Maybe you're walking around and you just have that song in your in your ears and you're looking at the moon and you're just like feeling the brisk, crisp, cold air just slapping you in the face. And I don't know. But yeah, it's about it's about the moon, the moon being Celeste, Celeste, the tide being her lover, her partner. Um, and it's about this codependent relationship between the tide and the moon, because, you know, the moon influenced the tides and the tides are only as great as has as close as the moon can be, I don't know if that makes sense, but look up how tide works. Like, I'm no scientist. Um, but it moving even like further, like over codependency, it's about like maybe like that other person. Because as much as the moon influenced the tide, the sun also does. And that implies that, you know, in their relationship, there might be a third person. Because she feels that something is happening, but she doesn't know how to put words on it. And she still loves her partner and kind of maybe overlooks that because that's that's easier like that. And I think it's beautiful. It's very melancholic. And it's just, I think, to me, accepting the relationship, not as in a resigning way, but like, you know, when you're in that moment at night and you reflect on things that matters and on what's happening in your life and on this and that. And you're just like, that is what it is. Like, that's happening. And I have to take actions for that. And that's something I can do tomorrow. But for tonight, it's just realizing what it is and how it's unfolding. Um, and then the little extra is Celeste's It's All Right featuring John Baptist. That's a great song, and I mean, don't get me started on the movie. The movie is also really great, but um, yeah, that was a little extra because it's very upbeat and it's, it feels like a hug. It's a song that feels like a hug, like a, a very a hug on a very sunny day, but it's still a bit cold, and you're just like, it's okay. Maybe you're even hugging yourself actually, but yeah. So that was the music. Um, I'd highly recommend you check out Celeste, and hopefully she'll get some a new album soon, because like. A girl can only dream. But I also have, by the way, to buy her vinyl. And I've been being a cheap ass because it's like, I think about almost 50 euros for the vinyl. I've just been like, nah. But it's a great album. Like, it's, it's 10 out of 10. Um, then the TV show I'm going to talk about today is Girlfriend. So Girlfriend is um, this show, I think, sets in like the late 90s. About four friends. Um, staring in the main role, Tracy Ellis Ross, which mother right there. But this one is kind of like a semi-recent find because um, I've actually, okay, um, I'll do the backstory now and then the story of the show. But I started watching it in New York, um, so on Netflix UK. And then when I moved back to France, it wasn't there anymore. And I was like, oh, fuck me, because I really liked it. I think I watched like the first like three to four episodes because they're like 20 minute episode and it's about eight season of 22 episodes so I was just like oh and then I came back to Ireland and actually I was like recently like when I came back like in September 
I was roaming Netflix looking for something to find, even though I have 10,000 shows that I need to finish. And then I was like, oh, wait, I remember that. I love that. Um, and so, yeah, I would 200% recommend it. It's a great show. Um, so like I was saying, it's about four friends, Joan, Maya, Tony, and Lynn. Um, and their life navigating their, I would say, late 20s and early 30s. Because, and I'll explain, like, why, but they each have very different personality. Um, it's about, yeah, their life, really. Um, but the show is, like, mainly centered around Joan. Like, Joan is the main protagonist. So Joan is a lawyer. She's kind of very rigid, has her life perfectly together, but kind of does not. She's guarded, and the recurring theme for her is her love life. Um, but, I, and also, I'm not spoiling, because I haven't, I'm, like, on season one, ep- no, season one, episode 15, I think. I'm not spoiling it, but I think I'm speculating that she's going to end up with Dave, David, the restaurant owner, because I feel something. But yeah, she's like very like put together her her outfit by the like Jones, like whole aesthetic in that show. Mm, my God, it's so good. Like the hair, like I'll talk more about the hair because come on, the outfit, 10 out of 10. Um, but yeah, she's like, you know, is trying to find love, but she's having a hard time with that. She has like rules about dating and, you know, a three month rule of no sex, but that's kind of like, you know, put her in like weird situations sometimes, but it's also like, you know, she's looking to settle down with someone, but it's just, I think never the right time or maybe not the right person because she hasn't noticed that David was right there all the time. That's my speculation. Then you have Maya, who is Joan's assistant and her friend. Because also, I did not mention, but Joan is a lawyer. She has her own, well, she works in a firm, but has her own cabinet. I don't think she's like, not an assistant, but like a partner. But she has her, she has her office. And so Maya is Joan's assistant. And her arc so far has been mainly about her husband, Darnell, who is a baggage handler at the airport. And who we thought might have been having an affair, but we're not really sure. But then they got married again, and they're trying to have another baby. But she's overall the one who has, like, her life most together in a social sense. Because, you know, she's married. She has a child already. She has a steady job. She loves her husband. Like, they're really cute together. But, you know, she has, like, she's fulfilled on all area of her life. In terms of friendship. In terms of um, family. In terms of love. In terms of work. She's fulfilled. Um, and then you have Tony. Tony is an architect. And they hinted that she was kind of, like, the closest to Joan in the first episode. But I don't really like her. Um, her main personality and like the main arcs is like she's obsessed with dating rich and having and like that marital prospect of being comfortable, which is completely fine. You know, I get it. But it's like sometimes she'll go and do things that are like just hurtful to her friends. Like the first episode was her opened on her dating Joan's ex, which, by the way, I forgot his name. Um, and I could look it up really quickly, but I'm a bit lazy. But it's my man's Ben Warren from Grey's Anatomy and Station 19, which I will talk about Station 19 at some point, And you're going to hate me for this. But anyway, so, yeah. Um, and she wasn't really, like, you know, that happens. And, like, life is life. And, you know, nothing is ever linear. But she was just, she didn't care. Like, Joan was obviously hurt by that. And, you know, very, like, she took it deeply, deeply. But then, to be fair, Joan ended up getting back with the guy while the guy was still dating Tony. So that was a whole mess. But like men whore, what can you do? Um, well, you can do a lot, actually. I don't want to be apologetic, but men whore, men whore sucks, suck. But anyway, um, 
so yeah and i don't know i feel like she's kind of like lacking empathy and for me empathy is like one of the big thing i'm looking in characters or people in everyday life i just want someone who cares and someone who's mindful and i'm not saying like tiptoe around me just you know take me into consideration um but yeah and it feels like she doesn't care much for joan so when joan is like the protagonist you're kind of in that perspective like nah um but yeah but she has been having redemptive quality she went back to her like young love who's an artist and completely broke and they're very cute together he painted her kind of like a chapel 16 ceiling type of situation i thought that was really lovely but um yeah then lastly we have lynn who's played by persia white by the way and my god is this woman unhinged like lynn is the most unhinged of all like when i tell you she is unhinged last episode she was at um suicide prevention hotline started flirting with one of the guy and then they went on a date the guy was like, your voice is really sexy over the phone. And she's like, oh, you too. Anyway, unhinged. This woman is unhinged. Um, and, you know, she's kind of like the comedic of the three, like the comedic outlet of the friendship. Because, you know, when Joan started dating that guy who's a sex addict and she was listing all the things that, you know, a sex addict is or like the habits that they have. And Lynn was like, yeah, whatever. In a way that's like, oh, I, I do that. Like maybe, oh, I'm a sex addict, but it's all good. But, yeah, she has 10, like I was saying, 10,000 addiction paid off as jokes, played off as jokes, sorry. She cannot hold down a job, a tenancy or anything. She was living with Joan for the first half of the season, then moved in with Tony. Um, and she kind of looks, she, I think for me, she's the youngest of the group. Like, she looks like a baby. And an arc about her is, so basically, there are all four black women. Um, but Joan and Lynn are biracial, and Lynn was raised by white people. So it kind of like, for Lynn, it's like a really big recurring theme as well, like her identity and who she is and how does that work. Um, but yeah, she's the wild card of the group. Um, the show is great. It's like, it's about life. It's, it's what I like. It's, it's a very short setting, but the way it's shot feels like a 40 minute episode, which is really nice because it's only 20 minutes. Um, I like the vibes. It's, it's, it's like I was saying, I think late 90s, um, but it's just like, that her like Joan's house is beautiful by the way first off beautiful kitchen um um the restaurant is really cute like the outfits and the vibes like I was saying like I'm obsessed with Joan's outfit I'm actually also obsessed with her hairstyle like I was saying but then are we surprised because it's Miss Girl Tracy Alice Ross we're talking about like of course she's gonna have flawless hair and flawless hairstyles like has anybody seen Blackish? like we know her like come on but yeah, it's just, it's amazing. Like, I love her style. It's very 90s, but it, it works. Um, but yeah, I don't think there is too much more I can talk about with the show because I like, I'm telling you, I'm like, I'm in episode 15 of season one and I'm kind of like trying to savor it because I don't want it to like end like it happened with station 19. When I was watching station 19, I would like have to at some point to physically pace myself off because I was so good. And I was so in love with the show that I could like watch the season in like a whole day. Like that was, I was not doing anything else but, but watching that show. But anyway, Girlfriends gets a 10 out of 10. It's a really good show. It's funny. It's like a bit overplayed on comedy, like, you know, end of the 90s show where, but it's good and it's fun. And you get those little like times where Joan has like, they like, breaking up the fourth wall, talking to the audience, being like, what the fuck, what the fuck is going on? And just like, she's very cute and she's very like reserved and very polite. So yeah, um, but yeah, 
Um, moving on to the book, which we're almost there, people. Thank you for, you know, bearing with me. The book, and I actually have it here. The book I'm going to talk about is Film for Her by Orion Carlotto. Um, which, oh, there is so much I can say about this book. There is so, so, so much I can say about this book. So this is actually one of my favorite books. Um, I think I came upon her one of her videos. I think a Get Ready With Me. Or like, no, I think it was it was a Get Ready With Me, but an artistic Get Ready With Me. Um on YouTube and I was just like I love her style I love the vibe I love it I love the essence and went on Instagram and saw she was publishing a book a second book actually um named film for her um which I the first of all like if you can check the book out it is I'd say about um a, a it's like I would say a four and a half because it's between a five and a four it has this which I have a coffee stained on it which is very me I guess but it's like linen, a linen cover, and then it's an pic embedded picture of her with a, art, a film camera. And then in the back, so the main themes are like linen, so beige and green for like the aesthetic. And then the back said, a storybook of people, places, and memories captured on film. So basically film for her, much like it is saying, is a collection of poem and film photos. So, and I'll read the introduction, but it's basically about how like each picture has like a memory attached with it and you don't realize it at the moment that you're taking it but then when you kind of look back on it and you're just like oh that's what I was feeling at the time that's what was going on with me and it is to be fair sort of Instagram poetry book like you know like kind of trendy like saying words that don't really have meaning like it's like like Brooklyn Beckham's photographic book like what the fuck was that but anyway that's my personal opinion but it's not in that, like, because it's a bit, like, more thought out than Brooklyn Beckham, which, than Brooklyn Beckham's, which was not really hard to do. But it's not like Rupi Kapoor's book, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, where it's like, oh my god, um, spirituality, but it's empty, but it's three line. It's like, oh, I don't want to go out of my room, so I stayed in. You know, it's not that. I think, I want, it's close to that to some extent, but I think it's, looking a bit deeper, deeper, and it's like, of course, making all those metaphors that you're thinking, no, girl, what are you saying, um, but it, 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 sometimes you just read it, and you're like, oh, absolutely, um, so when I actually went to pull out the book, because it's been in my nightstand, because I've been meaning to reading it, to read it, because I brought it back from France to read it, um, because contrary to what you may think, like I was saying, I am writing and mapping, and mapping out what I say. I have notes. I'm not casually rambling all the time. But when I pulled it out, I almost cried. And I told you, it's been, it's been an emotional week. I don't know what's going on, but it's been an emotional week. And I, and like rereading it because I was trying to pick out like, you know, do I have a favorite? Like, which one do I want to talk about in terms of poems? I just I started crying. It was just so perfect. I was reading it and I was like, oh my God, I remember why I love it so much. And yeah, I bought it in 2019. I read it and I was like, oh my God, this is absolutely me. This, this, this book, no, um, I think 2020, rather. This book, wait, let me check before I say, um, originally, yeah, 2020. This book in 2020 was my whole personality. That Amoya, that was me. That was completely me. And I, I have stepped away from film for her, a film for her, because I can only read a book so many times. I think I've read it about five times. 
And it's an easy read, obviously, because it's like poems. But, oh my god, do I fucking love that book so much. Um, there's just something about it that does it for me. Like, sometimes even the poetry isn't that great. But then you get the film pictures and you're like, oh my god. Absolutely. Like, it's just so beautiful. It's, um, so I'll briefly read the introduction for you guys to kind of get a sense of what she's about. And then I'll talk some more and probably read my favorite poem and then close this because it's long. I'm rambling. So the introduction goes as, Dearest reader, when poetry is written, beneath the folds of every word, images unravel. That never made much sense to me until I began discovering stories on my own photographs. Existing between comfort and desire, you don't realize how valuable a moment is until the years have passed and time slips in between your fingers. There's a special kind of pleasure that comes with appreciating the mundane. The highs and lows begin to feel useless compared to all the in-between. Funny how nostalgia shows up in different forms the older you get. Film for her is a reflection of all the instances in my life where I found beauty in the most ordinary places. A storybook of people, places, and memories captured on film. An ode to my youth, a supercut of dreams, and an homage to growing up. World where we have become so obsessed with trying to survive. I hope these words serve as a gentle reminder that it's okay to simply live. Orion. So that's the introduction, and I think maybe you were kind of starting to get a sense of why I love it so much. And I know the talk about, like, the mundane and loving everyday life. It's getting, it's starting to get old in the sense that we talk about it a lot on media. It's all about, like, you know, embracing what you are. And sometimes it's hard. Like, not, don't get me wrong. Like, that's hard most of the time because you're just like, that's routine. That's habits. I go to work and then I come home and then I do some more readings for my fucking thesis, which I think is going to be an absolute mess, but I have to have faith in what I'm doing. And then, you know, maybe I'll talk to my boyfriend and I'll talk to my roommate and then I'll watch a show and I'll go to bed and the next day I might go to school and then so on and so forth. But maybe I guess it's more not about the general of it, but it's, you know, thinking that, oh, well, this morning when I was at work, there was this woman that came in looking at the art and then she looked at me and she said, you have the most beautiful face I've ever seen. Um, or maybe it's like dancing around listening to Ladies' Room by Olivia Dean while I'm trying to put the paintings straight. And then it's going home and having a laughter because Gaia told me something that happened in class. Or maybe it was the routine of finding spiders within the comfort of our living room. And then I'll talk to my boyfriend, but maybe it's seeing him with a hoodie on and how pretty he is. And just me being like, oh... And maybe it's talking with my sister and my cousin and, like, laughing because, like, you know, we're just being silly and just talking. And, yeah, and then it's watching a show and just realizing how good it is or just, like, laughing at it or just, like, making comments about it. Like, I've been watching Jay Cryon recently and, my God, this man knows how to get into trouble. And, you know, it's things like that. And then it's maybe going to the kitchen and getting a little treat, like a Kinder Bueno. Because I've moved on from Kit Kat. This is a big shift for me, guys. I think I still bought Kit Kat today, but I think Kit Kats are slowly starting to be, like, a more, like, casual treat. And Kinder Bueno are the new obsession. But that, and it's, like, refilling your water bottle with ice and just being like, ah, 
the first sip that is just so crisp. Um, and I think it's just to put things into perspective. Um, so yeah, so Film For Her was my first introduction to Orion's work. And then I read Flux. And Flux was a lot more about a heartbreak. It was, it, that was, and that was a lot more like Rupi Kapoor style. Like it was like those pages, like half the book was empty pages. And it was like three lines of poetry and some drawings here and there maybe. But it was very like that. And, and there was something that really echoed with me at the time. Because I was going through heartbreak and many shit. But that, to the extent that matched. But outside of that, it's just like a book that I, I think I reread it maybe once. And that's it. Um, but film for her, even though it focuses a lot on heartbreak and love, it does touches upon, um, friendship, her navigating friendship, growing up, seeing time flying, thinking back on your childhood home and the tree that was planted when you were born, which, mm, anyway, um, yeah, it's about reminiscing the various stages of life and times and where you were somewhat and like times where you were somewhat sorry exactly what you wanted to be but didn't realize it like you know you're like in your prime aesthetic and like that's everything you want to be and then kind of swift over to something else and then you look back on that and you're like oh my god slay um but yeah and it's like not about regrets but about you know embracing it and just being like oh, that sucked that was terrible like that was a mistake that i made and i was like would not I mean, you can't ever say you won't do it again because the only reason you have all the insights you have now is because you did it in the first place, the first place, despite how awful it was. And I think for me, it's been a lot about self-forgiving in general. And I think the main arch has been that if you really regret it, um, not to the sense that like I would never do it again or like, you know, dismissing the whole experience, but accepting what it taught you, accepting what it brought you despite the pain and still, you know, Feeling regrets for hurting people and not, and you know, for not holding up to your morals and your standards. And you know, I guess it makes it a little less, a little more bearable. Um, but the book is also a fun fact, but inspired me to write, which I don't really do any much anymore and I don't really talk about because it wasn't great. But it was just like, you know, that way of talking directly, but also in charades about what I felt and kind of giving me the freedom to express myself. With a certain detachment and a certain, like, professionalism. Like, oh my god, I can talk about the heartbreak now. Because I'm doing better. Like, fuck you for hurting me, but I'm a grown one now. Um, which I do still cherish to this day. Um, I wrote a great, a great, a great, like, parallel between my first boyfriend and Jesse Reyes um, EP. Um, which is, give me a second, I'll get you the name. Ing. Human in Public is the name of the EP, which is a great fucking EP, but we're running out of time. Um, but yeah, I'll just, I will guess I'll read a bit of some of my favorite poems, because I've been actually going through a reread of the book, which is also why this episode is a bit delayed, because I didn't know which one I wanted to talk about. And, well, Atlanta, I've posted on Instagram, so you know about it. Um, there's a couple of good ones. Um... But um, I know the one that really like hit home as I was reading today was the one about New York. But it's long. It's like three pages in. So I won't read that. I'll read an excerpt of it, but all, not all of it. Basically, the poem is titled 5 p.m. in my Brooklyn apartment. And it's about her moving to New York. And I won't get into all of that. But one of my favorite, favorite piece is, wasn't my widest decision to ignore a very obvious red flag. 
I suppose that's my fault for being so naive at 20. And then she goes on to say, but I mean, this is all for the sake of my very own character development, right? After talking about being heartbroken. And then she mentions, and that's all in the same excerpts, and oh my god, um, the golden hour is going crazy in the apartment at the moment. It's just like shining through the living room. But she says, from my very first apartment as a woman in her early 20s, just trying to figure it all out. Nothing could be more ideal. And then she talks about a bit more about New York and says, Every yes and every no that has ever left my mouth, let me hear. To apartment E3. Every love lived and every love lost too. One part I really like of a poem called Self-Portrait of My Adolescent Insecurities is the reflection serves nothing more than a reminder that these are all the things I should feel so lucky to love. And yet, I'm still learning. And this one, I think, has to be like one of my favorite ones, so I'll read it all. It's very short. Um, well, it's not really, but we're there already. Could it be that we are the lucky ones? It's the title. Growing up, my father often told me that I'd never get any work done if I continued to daydream about my past. My mother always encouraged it. She said it's the only reason why great artists are so respected. I never grew out of that, reminiscing. Somewhere, there is a utopia hoovering above all things, haunting. Magic consumed with forever moments chronologically stored in our memory, and candid photographs blindly taken on film. Paradox or not, it's something that I've always believed in. It was only this time, last year, that we all spent our days running through our apartment complex hallways, and sunbathing by the seaside until freckles broke through our cheeks. Adrenaline filled pleasure shared intensely for a super cut in time. And if those memories, monumental or mundane, slip between our fingers and linger off into the unknown, just like everything else we've ever grown out of, then I'm certain we will always look back and remember that it was we who lived so carelessly for what felt like an endless summer so you kind of get the vibe and the pictures are beautiful like I, the pictures are like some of my favorites and they're just gorgeous oh no wait there is one last oh, i'm so sorry but basically and that's like a handwritten note um because it's picture and then it's kind of like notes that she took but it's about her being in italy and i'm just gonna read the parts i've highlighted but it says here i am sitting underneath a huge tree ripe with fresh magnolias, taking bites from yesterday's hand-picked peaches, savoring every last sip of this Italian wine, all while being surrounded by the passing sounds of the river that flows next door. Everything is crawling with elegance, living or not. And admittedly, I'm still trying to figure it all out, much like everyone else. Where I'm at, in this very moment, seems to be just... And I just read it, and the last line just it hit me. It's just like, that's, that's all one can inspire for. But I'll stop opening the book because then I'll read some more. <sighs> Thank you so much for bearing with me. This has been such a long episode. And I guess what I would like to say for closing it all out is that perhaps the morale of this episode of like, quote unquote, women in our 20s navigating everyday life is that it is so precious 
for me, really so precious in general, because we found the beauty in the mundane without even realizing that it is there. That to some extent, it's the whole of it. We navigate life, we live, we complain, we realize how lucky we are, we move on, we get hurt, we get back up, we laugh and cry and yell at family and friends. We loathe them while loving them so passionately. Sometimes we get irrationally mad because we've got home under pouring rain and want to uppercut everybody within a five miles radius. And then we cry when hearing a high school musical song. Bet on it, mind you, that was the song. And maybe that's just me. But it is the most beautiful and wholesome thing I've experienced so far. And I highly recommend it. And I'm about to cry. But anyway, thank you so much for bearing with me. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for bearing with me. This one is extra long, but it's made with extra love, I guess. Um, I love you all, wherever you are in the world. I hope you're well. I'm sending you all the kisses and all the peace and all the chaos that it is that you need. And um, I'll talk to you soon. Um, With love, yours, as always. Mario.